I want to tell you how much of a privilege it's been to open the Word of God. Anytime you can open the Word of God, it's always a privilege because it is God's Word being brought to God's people. And so I'm very, very thankful for uh, the session's trust uh, in me to bring the Word of God for your receptiveness, not only to the preaching of God's Word, but also uh, to me, I've really enjoyed our time and hope that uh, I will have opportunity at uh, other times to continue uh, to serve you. I would encourage you, I, uh, um, uh, as a pastor, one of my passions is uh, counseling. I do a lot of counseling, and my session has so graciously uh, allowed me to counsel uh, both also in other church, through other churches, but also in our church, but in, in the community as well. And so uh, I would ask if there would be any opportunity or need that you might have that uh, would arise. I would love to serve you uh, and serve Christ in that way as well. And I hope that you would take uh, advantage if that so comes. But thank you for this wonderful, wonderful opportunity to be in your church, to be blessed by you, the worship of God as we worship together as well. If you would open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Uh, I'm a history and political science, uh, well, I was not major, I have a degree in history and political science from SIU and have a strange proclivity, if you would, to his historical things, to political things. Me and my son actually stay up all night on election night looking at the results and have all these things open, and, and uh, uh, he is a history kind of buff as well. But one of the things that I noticed that I'm not sure if you noticed, uh, well, I'm sure you have noticed because you've sung it probably many times. Have you ever noticed that our national anthem ends with a question? It's kind of a strange thing for a national anthem to end with a question. Our national anthem, of course, was written during the War of 1812, during the bombardment of uh, Fort McHenry, as, uh, 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 as uh, um, the author, Francis Scott Key, uh, was on a British ship seeking the, uh, the release of a number of prisoners, uh, and the bombardment happened during that time, and he's looking out of the ship's hull at the bombardment, and the prisoners are asking him, is the flag still there? So that's the question on the night. But I would suggest to us that this simple question on that night, in some ways, uh, serves as a prophetic question to us. I'm not intending to become political in some ways, but it's something for us to ask and something for us to ensure as citizens of our country. Does that star-spangled banner still wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave? Freedom and liberty are not things that we can assume. I come from a country where uh, not only could you not assume it, it just wasn't always there, uh, but, it, but there are principles that are to be fought for and have been to be fostered, to be cultivated, and to be defended. I fear that in the future, possibly even near future, we may not be able to answer uh, uh, Key's question in the affirmative, but it behooves us to serve uh, the best we can as citizens. Now, I don't bring that up this morning or this afternoon, uh, to make any kind of political statement. 
But something in Key's question actually encourages us to live in a way that continues to have that flag fly. That's our political mindset. But I bring that question up because our passage this, uh, this afternoon ends with an unanswered question. God is asking Jonah a question about himself. And the thing we need to ask is why? Might it be similar to the reason we have a question at the end of our national anthem? Michael Card, the great Christian uh, singer-songwriter, wrote a line that says, questions often tell us more than answers ever will. Questions often tell us more than answers ever will. He wrote that because Jesus is often confronting people with questions. And the question in and of itself embodies some of the truth that he's wanting to get across. And that's exactly what God is doing with Jonah Uh, this morning, and it's exactly what he's doing with us as well. Why? Because the theme of the book of Jonah is that God is constantly pursuing his people, both lost and found. He pursues Jonah in the storm. Jonah repents in the belly of the great fish. Then he pursues Nineveh through the preaching of God's holy word, and Nineveh repents. And now he turns his attention back to Jonah. So would you pray with me as we come to this passage? Father, grant us grace now through the power of the Holy Spirit. Illumine our eyes, open them to see the truth of your word, but also illumine our eyes to see the condition of our heart. Father, we have often covered the light that is the gospel under a bushel under the busyness of our hearts, under our own desires, under our wants, under our anxieties. Instead of allowing the gospel to shine forth, instead of allowing the gospel to address those, we have often hidden it. And in doing so, we have left the world in darkness, not showing forth the light of the gospel, nor its power within us. But thank you that Paul says to us that you have, you have given us this ministry, this gospel, the glory of God in the face of Christ. You've given it to us in jars of clay so that the all-surpassing power of God might be seen at work within us. Make us such a church. Cleanse us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that you, uh, as we read the parable of the lost sons, I think it's very uh, 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 wrongly named. Always remember that the titles on top of the uh, passages in Scripture are not divinely inspired. They're encouraged and they're helpful for us, but they're not divinely inspired. I would suggest that this is the parable of the prodigal sons. But the passage actually begins, which is not read intentionally. Uh, The passage begins in this way. 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And Jesus tells three parables. You'll remember, you'll remember them well, I hope. One out of a hundred sheep are lost. Then the, then the uh, stakes get even higher. Uh, one out of ten coins. And in the last uh, uh, parable, uh, not just one, but I would suggest two out of two sons are lost. And if you think about the parable between the, the prodigal sons, it's really a wonderful parable, if you would, parallel to the book of Jonah. Here's God excited to reach the Ninevites with the gospel. But instead of rejoicing, Jonah in this passage, much like the older brother, refuses to go in and celebrate. He refuses to rejoice in the grace of God that was actually his, now given and received to others. What's the problem in this passage? Sadly, Jonah has still not understood the heart of God. Last week, we looked at God transforming the hearts of the Ninevites through the proclamation of his word. And you'll remember that the emphasis there was on the work of the Holy Spirit, though not mentioned, because how else could Jonah open his mouth, begin a passage, begin a, 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 a proclamation, and all of a sudden everybody just falls over and repents. It was a work of the Holy Spirit that we recognize. And all of Nineveh, from, from uh, the, the rich to the, uh, to the poor, from the, uh, from the higher-ups all the way down, repented and believed. Now this mass revival, why is that important? Because that mass revival of Nineveh repenting and coming to God uh, and believing in him and, and thrusting themselves upon the grace of God defines the little word in verse 1, it. Notice what it says here. But it, this mass revival of people coming to faith in God, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. How angry was Jonah? In the Hebrew, that phrase translated in the English, exceedingly displeased. In the Hebrew, it actually translates, it was a great evil in Jonah's eyes. Let's gather that for just a second. And the grace of God in not smiting Jonah. It, grace, was a great evil in the eyes of Jonah. And he was angry. And in the Hebrew it's, and his wrath came out. Not God's, but Jonah. And here in this, in this first verse we uh, Jonah's heart is rent open and exposed for what it really is. But what is important to see is that 
the reason he is angry. And maybe this is the saddest reality of it all. He is not angry necessarily simply because his enemies received mercy. Hear it from his own voice, verses, uh, verse 2 and on. It helps us to see the real problem. O Lord, he says, is this not what I said when I was in my own country? And that is why I hasten to flee to Tarshish. What's the this and the that that he's talking about? Hear it from his own lips, for it's hard to believe. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, wrath, which Jonah now has, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from anger. This isn't long since Jonah was in the belly of a great fish and rejoicing in the grace God granted to him. And here now Jonah is angry at God because he is God and granted the grace that he had given Jonah in the great fish now to a people not his own. What's the problem? The problem is the unholy trinity. What's the unholy trinity, you might ask? Me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. That's the unholy trinity. That's the problem. God isn't working like I want him to work. Jonah goes out and he establishes, creates a booth like, uh, like Elder said. He creates a booth to watch the show in hopes that God will turn again. So that God will do what Jonah wants him to do. And all of a sudden we recognize our own heart. We recognize often our false theology, even within our evangelical culture. Oh, I did God a favor, didn't I? I raised my hand and I chose Jesus. Really? Not according to Jesus, you didn't. Jesus says to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. But somehow we think that we are the ones who bring worth to God by our connection to him. God in, in uh, the Old Testament actually describes Israel. I believe it's in the book of Jeremiah. I should have looked it up. He describes Israel. He says, Israel, this is who you were. You were a child left on the side of the road, discarded in your mother's filth. When I came and I took you and I washed you and I made you my own. And somehow we grow up and we become arrogant in the choosing of God of us and we somehow think that God must do things the way I want him to do things. And we lose a heart of thanksgiving and we become full of ourselves 
And all of a sudden, the grace of God becomes to us entitlement. And all of a sudden, when people who don't fit the parameters of what we think a believer should be or, or who should receive grace, we become judgmental and we become angry because it hasn't fit our plans for life. And all of a sudden this attitude is extended and notice the extension of Jonah's angry. How angry was Jonah? He said, oh Lord, please take my life. At least he says, please. Oh Lord, please take my life from me. And notice this, it is better for me to die than to live. Wow. Do you hear that statement? It is better for me to die than to live in your grace. Because that's all that is, is the grace of God in which we live. Now, one might expect that if one was on the mission field for, for a decade or, or like my mother, 25 years, and you never saw a convert. Man, I wasted 25 years, Lord, and you didn't give me one convert. I'm upset. But you don't expect it from mass revival, from the opening of your mouth and the Holy Spirit working. But that's where Jonah's heart is. And that's the older brother, the Pharisee that often reflects our hearts as well. But notice like the Pharisee, the father goes, uh, the, the older brother, the father goes out to him. And notice now for the rest of the passage, God's gracious and loving pursuit of Jonah, which is hope for the rest of us. In these first three uh, verses, we see Jonah's outrageous sin of being angry at God. And the rest of the chapter is God's gracious, loving pursuit of Jonah. See, <clears throat> we see this in two ways. We see this in three questions that are asked in verses 4, 9, and 11. And each of those questions are separated by three acts of God's providence. Now, we've seen this already before. Notice in verse 4, uh, we have a generic question. God asks Jonah, and the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? What's Jonah's response? Nothing. He just walks out, creates for himself a booth, and waits for the light show to happen. And in these acts of providence, I want you to notice three things in comparison to chapter 1. In chapter 1, it began with the act of providence of the tempest, which is negative. And in response, Jonah recognizes that he has been caught in his sin. Then there's the act of providence in the casting of lots, again negative, that falls on Jonah. And Jonah throws himself onto the mercy of God. Throw me into the ocean and it will be calm for you. And then the third act of God's providence is that God provided a fish both to swallow Jonah and later to vomit him out. And that was an act of providence that is positive. We come to these acts of providence and they're in reverse order. Notice verse 6, God's act of providence, because Jonah did not re respond, is 
that he builds this booth and it says that Jonah, uh, that God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might bring shade over his head. What a gracious statement. Here's God providing for Jonah what Jonah really needs to save him from discomfort. It's a positive act of providence. But notice Jonah's response. So Jonah was exceedingly glad with the plant. As often we are when God so graciously gives us gifts, but we find ourselves exceedingly glad in the gift, but not thankful to the giver. That everything from God's hand to us is for our benefit. It's for our blessing. It's for our good. That God in his grace says, I give this to you that you might uh, not be in discomfort, that you might have in abundance. And once again, the pharisaical nature of our hearts is revealed as we see the gifts of God more as merit. I deserve this. I've done well. I bring my children to church. I, I, I. And there's times in our life when the way that God shows us that is all that we do doesn't turn out always right. And all of a sudden it's like, haven't I done everything you asked me, God? And yet you let one of my children wander. Why? Haven't I done that I deserve? And we recognize the realities of our heart. And Jonah is exceedingly glad in the plant that gives him shade. The second act of providence is seen in verse 7. It's a negative act of providence. But when the dawn came, the next day, God appointed... I'd love to see how God just, you know, directs and tells his creation, right? God appointed the fish earlier on. Now God appoints a little worm. God appoints the worm to attack the plant, and the plant withers. Jonah's response, another appointment of, God, uh, of God's uh, uh, creation is appointed to do his bidding. And then it says that right away, God's... Third act of providence comes up in verse 8a. When the sun arose, God appointed the scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, and he was faint. Like Jonah chapter 1, where God commanded the wind, he does so again, along with the sun, to scorch, uh, a scorching wind come to make uh, Jonah miserable. If God's intent for the vine was to bring comfort, his intent for the worm, the sun, and the scorching wind was to help Jonah recognize his own frailty and need. And isn't it often in the providence of God when we find ourselves in profound need? We're sick. Our bodies have limits. Our back spasms. And we all of a sudden realize not only that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, 
but how good and gracious God has been and how desperately we need him. Day by day and moment by moment. And sometimes it's in God's severe mercies that we recognize most that we need him. And it says he, uh, Jonah's reaction, verse 8b, he asked that he might die. For he said, it's better for me to die than to live. In Jonah's discomfort, God once again comes and he asks two questions. This time it's not a generic question. This time it's a specific question. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant, this vine that grew up? And notice the question has to do with the vine and, that the, uh, and the pleasure that he took from it. And so often in God's providence, sometimes he takes. You give and take away. We're listening to blessed be his name. You give and take away. And sometimes God's grace comes in the taking away of that which is precious. Not to be mean, but to show us where our reliance lies. It is the question and the answer that reveals the selfishness of Jonah's heart. Notice Jonah's response. Uh, notice Jonah's response is anger. And then the Lord says this. You pity the plant. You pity a plant. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came up into being in a night and perished in a night. And then the lesson, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. What Jonah complained about in verse 2. You are a gracious, loving God with steadfast love. God is graciously playing out for Jonah. He is being to Jonah exactly what Jonah was angry about to him. He is being gracious. He is being merciful. He is being slow to anger and he is relenting from disaster these three questions why questions questions are a means of God's goodness and grace and throughout the scriptures we see God addressing his servants with questions it's an act of grace Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden after Adam and Eve had sinned, they hid from the presence of the Lord, kind of like what Jonah was trying to do. And God showed grace. And notice what that passage tells us. We don't have time to look. It says that God came to Adam to walk with him in the cool of the day. God came to sinners while we were yet sinners. Christ died. When we, and in our inability, and in our weakness, and in our frailty, and in our sinfulness, we who deserved hell, Christ 
came and he dwelt among us. And then like Adam in the garden, he called out to Adam with a question. Where are you? And in some ways, that's the question for Jonah. And it's the question for us this afternoon. Where are you? Why a question? Doesn't, doesn't the, uh, uh, the most omniscient God who knows all things not know where they are at? Or is the question more for Adam? Where are you? What's the state of your soul? What's the state of your heart today? Jonah, should I not have pity on Nineveh? Is it, well, tell me, uh, I'm trying to ask your counsel. No, it's no, that's my heart. But the larger question behind that question is, why isn't it yours? Why isn't it ours? Why don't we, like God, have pity as he had pity upon us? Why are we like the older brother who sits outside moping and angry because God has grace? Why are we not like God? And so God asks a question, should I not have pity? But maybe the larger question is, should your heart not reflect my heart? Church of Jesus Christ, oh say, does the heart of God still glow in the hearts of his chosen and redeemed? It's a good question for us to ponder and to continue. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would make us as you intended for Israel and Jonah to be a fruitful vine from which blessing would come. That promise to Abraham who said, I will bless the nations through you. And yet, Father, we so often fail to be what you've called us to be, fail to be a light to the nations, fail to be a blessing of richness and fullness to the nations. We do not think that you can use us or will use us. We do not trust in your work in us and through us. Father, would you change our hearts? Would we look around at those maybe on whom we cast judgment be they in our family be they in our community be in their, there in our place of work those who if we are truthful we hate they annoy us they are frustrating we do not like them and so we don't pray for them We don't pray that your grace and mercy would abound to them. Father, would you change our heart to be like your heart? To receive the mercy, the grace, the steadfast love of God. And would we display that to others in blessing, encouragement, and in the proclamation of the gospel to them.
with the hope that you would save them, even at this late hour. Father, we confess our hearts are not like that. We take more comfort in our booths and in our houses and in, our, in the blessings that you've given us than we do in people around us. Father, change us to be more and more like you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.